Wow. What a, uh, what a worship time to follow. I mean, that's brilliant. Could you say, uh, bless on uh, Jen and Helen. Just repeat that again and we'll all go home. That was, uh, <laughs> that was great. Uh, great stuff. Well, thank you, uh, everybody, for yeah, praying for me then. That's great. And it is, a, it is brilliant to be able to be with us together today. We are in a, a season of church life which is full of ups and downs, isn't it? But we also, it's wonderful to be together in these times, isn't it? And today, what we're going to look at is, is Ruth chapter 4. But before we get there, we need to kind of do a little bit of storytelling to get us to Ruth chapter 4. Um, it's been a little bit of a while since we've looked at, at Ruth. Um, but what I want to start with is asking what some people's favourite stories are. So we're going to look at stories, but have any, any suggestions uh, this morning for your favourite stories? Yes, Jai Jara's first up. Tom Gates. Has anybody here heard of Tom Gates? Yeah, Alfie's hands up. Yeah, quite. If, you're, if you're under the age of about 11, you've probably heard of Tom Gates. Bless Anne, under the age of 11. Um, Tom Gates writes kids for, stories for kids. Any other stories? Alex? The Wing Feather Saga, yeah. Alfie? Sorry? I like this and you like that. Excellent. Very good. I've not, no, I don't know that one. You'll have to share that with me. Katie? Pride and Prejudice. That's got some cheers, that one has. Any other stories? Terry? Star Wars. Excellent. Paul? Calm down, Boris. Let's not go there. Um, what? Is, oh, yeah. Jack and, the, Jack and the Beanstalk. Yeah, yeah. Great. And what is it that we like about those stories? So maybe come back to some of those people. Jairus, what is it that you like about Tom Gates? Funny. Funny, yeah. Terry, what is it that you like? Good over evil. Good over evil. Katie, why do you like Pride and Prejudice? Well, the drama. <laughs> the drama. There's a lot of drama. Isn't there? Happy ending, yes. Mr. Darcy and whatever her name is, yeah. Um, can't remember. Elizabeth Bennett, thanks. Some very well-read people in this room. I just, if you want to go on to the next slide, some of my favourite stories are, uh, are, these, are these four, right? Danny the champion of the world, Mark was going to say that. It's always good after the fact to admit you were going to say something. So, and why do I love this story? Well, it's little Danny and his dad defeating big, oppressive, nasty landowner, Mr. Hazel, by poaching all his pheasants. And then we've got, we've got the, the, that pesky rat. If you have, has anybody come across that pesky rat? Well, yeah, my family have. <laughs> there you go. It's a favourite in our house. What it essentially is, it's, it's, it's a rat who longs to be a pet of somebody. Because he sees all these other animals being pets. And ultimately he is chosen to become a pet. Sorry to spoil the story for you, but it's, it's, a, it's a very funny story, it's great. And then Lord of the Rings, I bet most of you have heard of the Lord of the Rings, I'm surprised, surprised nobody mentioned that one actually, but it's a saga of a group of sometimes reluctant heroes who set forth to save the world from consummate evil. It's a bit like the, the good over evil story that Terry was through Star Wars was mentioning that. And then the Gruffalo, anybody heard of the Gruffalo? Probably one of the most well-known stories in the world, isn't it, at the moment? 
It's a sly, clever mouse, isn't it? Who saves him or herself. We don't know the gender of the mouse, do we? Um, through instilling fear in the, in the uh, of the Gruffalo in the minds of his or her predators. And then their reaction towards the Gruffalo is a protection against the Gruffalo, him or herself. There you go. So these are great stories, aren't they? And why do we like the stories? Why do we all like these stories and the ones that you've said? Well, some of you have already said. They are fascinating stories. They're funny. They're great adventures. They take you on an emotional journey through time and space in Star Wars and in other, in other histories in the 18th century or whenever Pride and Prejudice was written. They take you through these emotional journeys and they have great endings, don't they? They have great endings. So we're going to look at a story today um, which has the very best of endings um, because of what it meant for the key characters in the story, but most significantly what it points us to. So it's a great story and we've been, we've been reflecting this morning on the foundations we have in Christ and how they are so solid for us. And I believe that the story we look at today is going to help to ground us in an amazing story. Um, so let's just quickly pray. God, I want to just pray as we start to look at this amazing story from the Bible that you would help us to see, to understand the story, but to see how you are at work in that story and how that can be transformational for us as your people, as we seek to serve and live for you in this world. Okay, so Anna is going to have to work really hard today, but she's up for it. I can see it in her eyes. Uh, so the next slide. So Ruth. Ruth is in the middle of, uh, well, it's not in the middle of the Bible. It's in the, uh, in the Old Testament. Um, if you want to be finding it, if you've got it in your, in your Bibles, well, just while we're going through this. But I'm going to take you on a quick summary, because we've heard in September... We heard, and October and November, we looked at the book of Ruth. We had Paul and Blessan and Rich have spoken from different parts of uh, Ruth 1, 2 and 3. And we arrived today at Ruth 4. But how do we get there? So a quick summary of the story. So Ruth, the title of the, of the book is, uh, is Ruth. Um, on the background, it, it was set uh, in the time of the Judges. So Judges is another book of the Bible. It's the book that follows that. Um, in, in roughly 1200 to 1020 BC, so about for 180 years, about 1,000 years before Jesus came. The date and the author of the book isn't that conclusive, um, but uh, the key themes are of God's mercy for these two widows that we'll come to reflect on, and about redemption, which is a massive theme throughout the Bible. Then we come to the outline of the, the book. Next slide. Oh, you jumped ahead there. Let's go back one. That is the next one, is it? Okay. Not sure. It's all right, there you go. Quick outline. So chapter one is all about a time of famine and the bond of family in the Bible. Chapter two talks about Ruth's diligence and Boaz's kindness. We heard about that previously, didn't we? Chapter three is all about Naomi finding a home for Ruth. And the chapter four is about redemption and legacy. So that's kind of the big arc of the story. When you think about a story from start to finish, that tells you the whole story. In, in, a, in a, a very brief summary there. So yeah, next, uh, next one, Anna. So we've got the... Is it going? Oh, no, back. Is it leaping ahead, isn't it? It's, it's not been very kind to you today, is it? There you go. There are three main characters that we'll just introduce you to in this wonderful story. So we have Ruth. Now, Ruth means friend or friendship. And who is Ruth? She's a young Moabite woman. So Moab was a, was a, a nation that was ne very close by to Bethlehem, um, and uh, where, where uh, we hear, hear that uh, she ends up, and she's a young, she's from that area called Moab. And by faith, she leaves her country, 
and her people and her gods to follow Naomi and her God. And she ends up being listed in Jesus' genealogy, this, the, the long list of people, that the descendants of Jesus. So that's Ruth. We'll hear a bit more about her in a minute. Next one. Oh, go, go back. Well, we've got Naomi, I think, just before. No, Naomi's, <laughs> Naomi's gone missing. No. Okay, Naomi is not there. Wait a minute. She's coming. Everybody hold your horses. Has she been deleted? Did I delete her? No idea. This is all fun, isn't it? There you go. Her name means uh, pleasant, but she actually changed her own name to Mara during the story because of the bitterness, the sadness of her situation. She was married to Elimelech when they left Bethlehem to move to Moab. But Elimelech and her two sons, Marlon and Kilion, both died, leaving Naomi with her two daughters-in-law. Orpah, that is Orpah, not Oprah. Don't misread that. It's Orpah and, uh, and Ruth. And she begins the book empty and hopeless, but ends the book renewed and with new purpose. And finally, Boaz, who is our next one. So his name means in him is strength. He's an old, wealthy relative of Naomi. And he's an upright man, concerned about Naomi, and he's generous to Ruth. So those are our big three characters. And so then we'll come to just do a quick summary of the chapters, and we'll get to Ruth 4 in a moment. So hang on in there, you're doing well here. So uh, chapter 1 is a time of famine, and a, there's a this bond of family. So during a time of famine in Judah, Elimelech, this is a bit like Jack and Ori, everybody, I'm going to just tell you this story and you'll follow it through and it'll all make beautiful sense by the time we get to Ruth chapter 4. So during a time of famine in Judah, Elimelech and his wife Naomi, along with their two sons Marlon and Kilion, leave Bethlehem and settle in Moab. Sadly, Elimelech passes away and the two sons marry Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah. Tragedy strikes again when both sons die, leaving Naomi, Ruth and Orpah as widows. When Naomi decides to return to Bethlehem after hearing that God has provided food for her people, Ruth insists on accompanying her. Despite Naomi urging her to stay, Ruth's determination is unwavering as she pledges allegiance to Naomi and her God and they return to Bethlehem as the barley harvest begins. And there's this wonderful verse from chapter 1, verses 6 to 17. Where you go, I will go. It is Ruth saying to Naomi, where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. This, this, this commitment to Naomi and to her, and to her God. Then chapter 2 is Ruth's diligence and Boaz's kindness. So Ruth decides to glean in the fields. Now gleaning, for those that are unfamiliar with farming, was kind of going on the edges of the fields where the farmers were cutting their harvest and taking from the, the, the offcuts that were left at the side. It was a part of the Jewish law that allowed for poorer people to still be able to get food from the edges of the field where the farmers were cutting. So she decided to glean in the fields to support herself and Naomi. She ends up in the fields of Boaz, who's a relative of Elimelech, Naomi's husband. Boaz is a man of stature and kindness. He takes notice of Ruth's hard work and dedication and ensures that she is treated well. Boaz's generosity extends to allowing Ruth to gather ample grain and providing her meals. Ruth returns home with her bounty and tells Naomi about Boaz's kindness. Naomi recognises Boaz as a kinsman redeemer. I'll explain that in a minute. And is grateful for the favour Ruth 
has found in his eyes. And there's an amazing verse here where, from chapter 2 where Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord do for you what you have... Uh, may the Lord reward you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of your ancestors, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. We following this story so far, yeah? yeah? Good. Affirming words, everybody, thank you. So chapter three, here we go, this is great, Annie, you're doing great. Naomi concocts a plan to reward Ruth to present herself to Boaz at the threshing floor. Again, this is an ancient custom where uh, the, he will be sleeping after a day of winnowing, and this is a way of her showing her, uh, her, her openness, her willingness to become um, Boaz's Husband, she instructs Ruth to lay at his feet as a symbolic gesture for him to take on his role as kinsman redeemer. And Ruth follows Naomi's instructions. Boaz is impressed by her virtuousness and promises to marry her if a closer relative does not claim to be the right, claim his right of redemption. Ruth returns to Naomi and shares what has occurred and they await the outcome with anticipation. So that gets us to the end of chapter three which we've looked at over recent months. Are you all still with me? Are you hooked into this story? Yes. Thank you. Great. Next slide, please. Oh, no. Is there something, is there something about Boa, the, the uh, kinsman redeemer? That slide, yeah? That's what we need. There we go. Just, just before we start reading um, the, the passage, just need to explain this term. You'll have heard it referred to there, and we're going to read it in the first verse of chapter 4. Some of your Bibles will refer to the person as a kinsman redeemer. Some other versions refer to the person as a guardian redeemer. It's the same term. I'm not quite sure of the, the way it's been interpreted in Hebrew. I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but there must have been some reason why they had different meanings. But that's, some of your Bibles will refer to as a kinsman redeemer, others as a guardian redeemer. And this person, it's quite hard for us in our culture today perhaps to understand what this person is. But the, the root of this meaning was in Deuteronomy chapter 25 in, 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 in uh, the law set out by God in verses 5 to, 5 to 10. Um, when a man died without children, his widow married his brother to carry on the family line and guarded a family's inheritance in the promised land and provided for the widow who might be destitute. That was the role of the kinsman redeemer to provide protection for a widow um, and to redeem, just to, that's again another word that might be unfamiliar to some of you. There are multiple definitions for what redeem might mean. Um, but I think the two that are most helpful for us today are the action of regaining or gaining possession of something in exchange for payment or clearing a debt. And it can also mean deliverance or salvation. So with all these ideas, with all these people in mind, let's dive in to Ruth chapter 4. So if you've got Bibles in front of you, uh, we're going to go into Ruth chapter 4. It might appear on the screen. Andrew and Anna are doing a great job. Um, so, chapter, Ruth chapter 4. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Now, for those, again, town gate, that doesn't mean a lot to many of us probably. Just imagine if you go into Sheffield City Centre and you sit outside the town hall or the city hall or one of the grand buildings in the city centre, um, which could be the kind of the, the entry, it's not necessarily the entry point to the city, but a key point in the city 
Uh, the town gate would have been where people were coming in and out of the city and people gathered in that kind of public square to, uh, to meet each other. It's an important centre point. So imagine maybe outside the, the, the town hall and the city centre. And Boaz said, come along, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. He did as he was told. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. So he's gathering a lot of people. So there's lots of witnesses to what is going on here. It's not just Boaz and the, the guardian redeemer having a conversation. It's in a public space. There are many people gathered to listen in. And he says, if you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me, so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except for you. And I am next in line. So he replies, I will redeem it, he said. So initially he's showing a willingness to, to, to follow through with his, with his uh, commitment to redeeming, um, redeeming uh, Elimelech's family. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you will also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead of his prop with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. And in verse 7, provides us with a helpful explanation of what's going on here. So he says, Now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal. Oh, I've left my uh, flip-flops. Here they are. Thank you. I should have put these on beforehand, but I didn't. Um, just reminded me of my prop. Uh, <laughs> He took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalising transactions in Israel. So before we get to my, my prop to explain this, what we've got here is that Boaz has initially gone to the guardian redeemer and reminded him of his responsibility to, to, to take uh, protection of Naomi and her family. Then when he finds out what that... And initially he says, yes, I'd love to. But then when he finds out what it's really going to entail, he runs away from it and realizes, oh no, I don't really want to do that. I'm worried about my estate. I'm worried about what the implications might be for my family. And so he's, he, he removes his responsibility. And the way that they did that in, modern, in those ancient days, which may not be familiar to us, is they would take off their sandal and they would give it to the other person. Paul, have my sandal. There you go. As a, as a sign of transferring the legal responsibility. You can give it back now. Yeah, yeah it'll be... Smelly flip-flop. Um, as a sign of handing over his responsibility uh, for redeeming this family. So he then says in verse 8, So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it yourself. And he removed his sandal. Verse 9, Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian and Marlon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Marlon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. 
Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So we'll, just, we'll go on to the next section of Ruth 4 in a moment. I'm going to dive back into the uh, PowerPoint. Um, so, Ruth chapter 4, marry, Boaz marries Ruth. So this wonderful exchange that hopefully you're following in terms of how that happened in the city square. Witnesses all around watching as Boaz has spoken with the person who had the right to take responsibility as the kinsman redeemer for this family. He chose not to do that. Um, he's afraid of losing his own estate. There's this crazy sandal exchange that happens, which was the symbol to those people of how the responsibility was transferring. And then he marries Ruth in sight of all the elders. In some ways, quite similar to a marriage ceremony in modern times, where people are gathered and we say promises in front of different people that are there. And then there are witnesses when pa- marriage papers are signed. In some ways, that's perhaps a parallel we can understand, quite similar to how things are today in some ways. And then we hear the elders praying over this family um, as as a sign of their recognition of what happened and their faith that God would use this situation wonderfully to redeem the family and create descendants for this family. Um, And it says, doesn't it, in in, uh, in verse 11, uh, make them famous in Bethlehem. Well, Bethlehem, a few years later, becomes a highly significant city, as we, will, as, we, as we know that story and the line of David that we become familiar with. So then we'll read on in Ruth chapter 4, verse 13 onwards. Anna's finger's going to hurt a lot by the end of this. She's there, look at that. Verse 13 onwards. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The woman living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And then this genealogy comes through at the end. This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron the father of Ram. Ram the father of Aminadab. Aminadab the father of Nashon. Nashon the father of Salmon. Salmon the father of Boaz. Boaz the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, or King David, as we come to know him as. So to summarise that chapter, Ruth gives birth to Obed, and Obed is then given to Naomi as her grandson and as her inheritance. Life is no longer bitter. Her name had been changed to Mara, as we, as we looked at earlier, but now her life is no longer bitter. And Obed is to become the grandfather of King David and an ancestor of Jesus. What a wonderful story, hey? 
We followed, hopefully that, as you followed, you've kept going with me through that story. Um, a wonderful story. And I think it pulls out three things I'm going to highlight that I think are important, what this story means to us. The first thing I think it highlights for us, which is so important, is that no situations are beyond the redemption of God. No situations are beyond the redemption of God. This can give us hope that even the most tragic and hopeless of situations can be redeemed by God. Alex brilliantly read at the start Psalm 130, uh, which starts out with, out of, the depth, out of the depths I cry out to God. And, uh, and, and Luke, Katie in the worship time was helping us to reflect as waiting for God. But there's hope at the end of that psalm, isn't there? Don't have it in front of me, but how it points us towards a hope that we can get in God. Shane also was telling me, his, uh, whenever I see Shane, Shane is one of the most encouraging people. If you've not chatted to Shane before, chat to Shane. He's a brilliant man. And it's wonderful to hear. And I ch- chatted to him this morning. He was just reminding me of his story, of how God has worked massively in his life to transform his... Um, I would ask him to share it himself, but we might be here a while. Um, <laughs> it's a great story. It's a great story, and I encourage you to hear Shane tell his story, because one of our God has moved powerfully in his life, transforming his situation um, of hopelessness and uh, despair and loss, and putting him in a place where he has full trust and faith in God. It's an incredible testimony of God's faithfulness. So I think for any of us here today that are feeling hopeless, are feeling lost, are feeling in despair... We can come to God today and ask for fresh courage to trust him and his redeeming character to be with us in our circumstances. He's, as Helen was encouraging us, he's not a God who crushes us. He's close to the brokenhearted. He releases us from our fears. His character is one who is more than able to deal with your circumstances and to meet you where you're at. And this story is an amazing story of people that were in despair. They were lost. They were without rights. And God provided for them an amazing redeemer who brought them into safety, security and inheritance. So no situations are beyond the redemption of God. Family, as we stand in this place today, as life goes on, as things happen Let's hold fast to that reality, that truth, that we can trust God in all our circumstances. The second thing that I think this story means for us, we've leapt through to all three, that's fine. Um, People of all backgrounds are welcomed into the family of God. That's an incredible reality as well, isn't it? An old woman, so that's Naomi in this story, and a foreigner, that's Ruth, she's from Moab, are welcomed into the family of God. God welcomes people from all backgrounds into his family. The church should truly be the most diverse organisation on earth because we are drawn from all backgrounds into his family. It's a foretaste, this story is a foretaste of, of what we see at Pentecost when the Spirit comes on God's people, on the church, and people spoke in all languages as a sign of the gospel going from the Jews to the, to the world. Jesus came 
to bring salvation to all nations. He sends his people out at the end of Matthew's Gospel as he commissions his followers. He says, go into all nations and make disciples. May all people come to know Jesus. And we have representation of many different nations here today. People from different ages, different backgrounds, people of different cultures and classes, different areas of the city, speakers of different languages. Just here today we have that represented. And in churches all across the world, that is, the gathered people of God, anybody is welcome, whatever their background, whatever their, um, whatever they, wherever they've come from, whatever their story. And the amazing reality we see in Revelation, the book of Revelation, all tribes and tongues and nations around the throne of God, worshipping, uh, singing praise upon praise, all people of different backgrounds. And this story is a very small insight into how that is God's desire. He draws people from all backgrounds. He saves this older lady and this lady from another nation are brought into the family. That's wonderful, isn't it? But it's also a real challenge to us. If we are to follow Jesus, we are to be people that reach out to the excluded, to reach out to those on the fringes of our society, that reach out to those on the margins. Chris was really good at that, wasn't he? And uh, we, we remembered, didn't we, this weekend of how wonderful Chris was as a man who did that, who loved people so well and reached out to people. I think that, that would be part of Shane's story as well. Chris was key to loving Shane and bringing Shane into our family. But Chris was one of many of us for whom God speaks to us in that way and leads us into loving people well into bringing us, pushing us outside of our, of our ways of living life to seeing that God has a bigger picture for what life can be when we follow Jesus. That we are to be people that go out beyond what we're comfortable with to extend our arms of friendship and of love and of kindness and of compassion to people of all backgrounds. And that God empowers us to do that. We don't do that in our own strength. We do that with the power of God at work in us. So can we be people? I challenge us today. Can we be individuals? Can we be a church family that welcomes and includes people of all backgrounds? Can we be part of their redemption story? Their story of coming to know Jesus. The transforming power of knowing Jesus. Of being part of a, a family of believers in Jesus, where we're accepted just on the basis of who we are, but welcomed in because, not because of anything we have done, not because of how great we might look or what the great things we might have achieved or the things we might say, but because of what Jesus has done, because of how amazing Jesus is, how wonderful he is and was in his life on earth, dying and rising again to forgive us, to bring us into forgiveness. And that leads us into the third thing that this story means for us. It leads us to the greatest redemption story ever told. This story is a small story of one family for whom God did an amazing work of redemption. But it speaks to a much bigger story. It reminds us of someone else who comes to marry outsiders and bring them into his family at great cost. In that sense, we see Boaz as a, 
as a, as a, as a foretaste of Jesus. He reflects Jesus. We read in Romans 3, verse 24, all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. And in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God, our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Through Boaz's line would come the saviour of the world. Through what Boaz did of bringing a family into the legacy of God would come the saviour of the world. And for th- this provides for us so many things. There's many, many things that this means for us. But just to pull out three in particular. We can have deliverance and salvation from all the sin and the wrongdoing in our lives. That is ours. That's our inheritance. Number two, we can be freed from all the condemnation of guilt and shame that we can feel in our sin. We're free from that. There is no condemnation any longer. And number three, we can know security in being wedded to Christ now and for eternity. That is our foundation. That is our reality. And being rooted in this picture, the big gospel narrative, is such a massive antidote, such a massive challenge to the hopelessness, fear, anxiety and lostness we see all around us in our society today. You'd have to have your eyes closed and your ears blocked for the last few decades not to have realised that for several decades now, the increasingly strong cultural story being told to us is that there is no God and we should reject all the previous notions of religious or biblical identity. We should just reject that. It's all nonsense. You're silly to believe that. We live right now at a time when young people in particular are being told that they can and they should create their entire identity and their entire worldview by themselves and that everyone around them should just say, great, go for it. Validate the whole lot. Say it's okay that you're completely fine to make up everything, to create your own identity, whatever your gender, your sexuality, whatever your meaning, your purpose, you should create it all. And that nothing that's gone before has anything to say to you about that. That is what many are growing up and being taught in schools and learning about is how they should live. However, this is such a dangerous and tragic course to take. Already we see it leading to epidemics of loneliness, of hopelessness, of despair and lostness. Not just of young people, but of many, many people in our society where the foundations of their world are just being wiped away and they're being forced to create meaning for themselves out of whatever is left. But family, we don't need to be hopeless because the most powerful and long-lasting solution is instead to root ourselves deeply in the redemption story of God, to find our meaning and our purpose in that redemption story. Terry read brilliantly from... Philippians 2. I mean, every contribution Terry brings is brilliant, but it was, today it was uh, really wonderful in terms of Philippians chapter 2, that amazing story of Jesus stepping into our world, humbly coming and dying for us, that we can know him and he can be our saviour and our Lord. From him comes our identity, our meaning, our purpose. From him comes salvation and hope, satisfaction. 
From this story, we learn that God's created us, that he loves us, that he entered the world to redeem and save us from all the sin and brokenness that separates us from him, that he places us in a family, that's all of us here, where we can do deep, meaningful relationship and life together, where we can be broken together, where we can grieve, where we can cry where we can shout, we can dance, we can have great times of laughter and joy together, where we are together in those, in those places. And he has great purposes and plans for us to be on a mission together, to go out into the world, to share this wonderful news of Jesus loving this world so much that he came to save it, to give us hope and purpose and meaning, and that ultimately one day he will return and we will be with him forever. That's our eternal home. We can live in the view of eternity right now. That's the greatest story ever told, right? That beats the Gruffalo. It's a good story. Beats the Gruffalo, beats Star Wars, it beats Pride and Prejudice. Sorry, Katie. (laughs) I know you're all right with that one. It beats any other story that's ever been told. And it's true. It's not the Gruffalo, it's that's been made up by Julia Donaldson. It's not, it's not any of the other stories that we've heard talked about today. It's a true story. It's a narrative. It's a life that we can be rooted in and find all hope and meaning that guides the rest of our lives into loving others, into caring for the broken, the marginalized, those that are excluded, into living hope-filled lives in the ups and the downs of life. So I think that pretty well brings us to a conclusion of this story and how I feel it perhaps encounters and has meaning for us today. I think in a moment we'll just sing um, to reflect on that and to draw our attention to Jesus. But I'll just just pray now as we we kind of come into into singing at the end. And God, I just want to thank you so much that this story of Ruth, whilst it gives us a little insight into one family and their experience many centuries ago, it points to this massive story of the greatness of your salvation and your redemption of us as your people, that we were people that were far off and broken and rejecting of you through our sin and our rejection of you, but you have saved us out of that place of brokenness. You've delivered us into a place of freedom and a place of Uh, salvation in you we are in a family together that where we can welcome people of all backgrounds with love and kindness and grace and we can go together on a mission to reach the ends of the earth with your good news because of what you've done for us Jesus Lord I ask as we reflect on this now as we come to remind ourselves of how you are with us in our hopeless places how you empower us to go out and love people of all kinds and backgrounds and how we are rooted firmly in your truth, in your gospel. Lord, would you do a deep work in our hearts right now? Would we leave this building changed because you've encountered us by your spirit, by your presence at work in our lives? Um, So thank you, Lord, for this amazing story and continue to work in our hearts now as we sing, God.